Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Just three words, three words that entirely shape a following of Christians and just three words that we hold tightly to the faith that we find. Three words won't write a novel, but three words will just catch our attention, and some, some of us simply gloss over those words. Three words which peg the faith we hold on and dearly hang on to. Three words that fill church marquee signs and billboards where millions of Christians fill churches today around three words. Three words that entirely shape our worldview, and three words that change the trajectory of the apostles' and disciples' lives after a following a man for three years. Maybe they all thought it was a waste of time. Maybe they just went around for three years claiming this, around this guy, went around three years, and he's claiming something to be that he's not. People are just deceived by it. Maybe so are we. And three words, And putting ourselves in the feet of those who are on that Easter morning, who'd given up everything to follow him. For that one morning, three words changed the course of their lives. And that changed the course of eternity forever. He is not here. He is risen. All the weight of their own personal journeys and the weight of all the hardship matched those three words. Why wrap ourselves around those three words? Because our whole Christian faith, the reason for us being here today, existing, this church exists because of those three words. That whatever the church you grew up in or the resurrection story, or maybe this is your 61st Easter, that the resurrection account is based on eyewitness testimony. We take those words as faith. The Bible, it's written down. But the witness to the resurrection is valid because people saw him after the resurrection. We know from the resurrection because Matthew told us about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and others told us about it. Matthew told us about it. Mark told us about it. Mark got it from Peter. Luke tells us about it because Luke pretty much talked to every eyewitness imaginable, and he was like a doctor, and so he wanted to talk to as many people as he possibly could to talk about the resurrection. Peter followed Jesus, and he was an eyewitness. He believed Jesus, then denied Jesus. Then it's this roller coaster. He denied him, and then he believed him. And then Peter, and Jesus tells Peter, yeah, I still believe in you. Despite all of that, Peter became a front runner in the early church. These folks, very ordinary people from very ordinary backgrounds, very ordinary circumstances, and without their testimony, there would be no Christianity. And so maybe we all have wondered or are wondering here currently, is this still relevant? Is it still relevant? That the message that millions of people are gathered here today, is that still true? What weight does this have on my life? What do I know? How do I know this to be true? How can I know this to be true? What does a 2,000-year-old cross have anything to do with my children? My children never seem to listen. My relationship with my friend who backstabbed me. My family whose dysfunction runs deep. My soul that can never seem to be watered. My life that seems so out of control and so out of sorts. How can I know that that is really worthwhile? One of the more powerful accounts of this comes from a story of Jesus during his ministry. And while he was teaching people, and in fact, this was Jesus entering Jerusalem, entering the last week of his life. We find the Easter story in glimpses of Jesus across his ministry. And this account comes before the resurrection. And of course, we'll talk about the resurrection, but this account 
comes as Jesus is entering the last week of his life, and we'll tie it all in together. If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series about the I am statements of Jesus. They're all across the Gospel of John, and there's seven of them all across uh, Jesus and his ministry. These are seven statements in John's Gospel that Jesus makes. All These are not just simple statements, but these are about the King of kings and Lord of lords who's alive and well, and the person we place our faith and trust in. So we've been going through these seven I am statements, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. And I guess maybe it was divine providence we got to that today. I don't know. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. We've been walking through what this means. And you see, these I am statements recorded in Scripture reveal to us the depths of what it means to be a Christian and how we can go deeper by living with Jesus Christ in the present tense, in the now. He's an I am. He is a was. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a was. He is an is. Um, so here's the big picture. Of, if you've ever opened up your Bible before, this is kind of a big picture of like where this is, where this story lands in John 11. We're in John 11 today. Jesus has been making his way around Jerusalem. He's been at odds with the religious leaders of the day. They didn't like him very much because of all these claims that he has said who he is, and he said he's from God, and he's sent from God, and he's challenging their line of thinking thinking throughout this whole time. And those religious leaders don't like it very much. It rubs up with their line of thinking. And he comes to John chapter 11, and Jesus is visiting a very near and dear family to his heart. Um, and his name is Lazarus. And Lazarus is not the department store, um, but it is, in fact, a man whose name literally means, um, in, the, in the original language of the Bible, means God helps. I love that. God helps. Um, also within the busyness of Easter, let's just kind of, within all of this, right, and Good Friday, everything going on, um, it can be very easy to miss what is happening even in Jesus' ministry, that Jesus has his eyes on the broken, and including this family who's grieving the loss of Lazarus in one of their own. So notice, notice verses 1 through 3 of, of chapter 11. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So Lazarus was sick. Jesus sees broken people, very hurting people. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And evidently, Jesus has a special place for Lazarus, and Jesus sees hurting people and meets them in their time of need. And in fact, it's the Bible's way of saying, and then John, the Gospel of John, the writer of this saying, bring needy persons into your family, bring them into your circle, bring them into your church, because they need to see Jesus too. So let's jump into this account. It's in John 11, um, and I apologize. I didn't get the page number in front of you. Uh, I would usually say that, and it's on the screen behind me. If somebody wants to grab that within the next about 10 seconds, we'll do another sword drill here. Um, 760, what? 760, 760, okay, thank you, thank you. 760, um, if you want to follow along, I'm a paper and uh, hardback person. I don't know if you are, but we at this church... Uh, we value the scriptures, and uh, we pray um, that you would find a church that does the same, that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in what? Death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But I'm going to stop there and go to verse 17. Verse 17, picking up there, says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In those days, and some thought that um, the spirit and the body were two separate things in Jewish thought. So sometimes the spirit uh, rested upon the body for two days. So Jesus being, he's, Lazarus being dead for four days mean that he's really dead really dead. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You ever ask God that question? God, if you had been there, blank. Or we ask things about God's timing. God, why didn't you intervene? God, why didn't you step in when that relationship fell apart? You ever felt that way? God, where were you when the marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when I was cheated out of my promotion? Where were you when my child went astray? God, if only you had been here. And Martha stares into Jesus' face with confused eyes. The one who could have made a huge difference right in this moment didn't. But it all comes together for a purpose. Verse 23 says this, picking up, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the what? Resurrection and the what? Life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never what? Die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This is before the resurrection. This is sort of entering in the last week of his life. And Jesus wants us to know, even here, that he's come to give us life over our greatest enemy, which is death. I am the resurrection and the life. Place your faith and trust in me. Even those prayers that seem unanswered or go idle. We know that it's Jesus who listens to Mary and Martha and hears them in their grief and pain. And Jesus never turns a blind eye, but in the face of that responds to it. And eventually Lazarus is raised to life in God's perfect timing. And there's a particular statement that Jesus makes here twice. It's God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? That's for God's glory to be revealed through something like that. Did I tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? We know that eventually Lazarus does raise from the dead. He's really dead, four days dead. Um, And God's will is so perfect that God can grow us into fully knowing Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient Savior. That's what he does through pain. The love of God is a deeper and greater kind of love that can only be experienced when we experience pain and loss. The goal of Jesus' love for us is to not have a life free from the pain and suffering of the problems of this world, but for our love of God to be deepened and our trust to be deepened and then for God to be glorified. How can we glorify God when there's so much problems, when, when things aren't going well, when my life isn't going the way anticipated? I've got more questions than answers this Easter and people have let me down. Well, that's where the story of Easter comes in. So come with me to a hill called Calvary. 
After being sold for some silver and unjustly arrested for being publicly beaten and no charge against him, being bloodied to the point of death, Jesus walks his own cross over a hundred pounds about a mile down a winding road called the Via Dolorosa with a roaring crowd and name-calling and limbs past the point of numbness. Jesus gets to the cross and watch his shoulders, shoulder, excuse me, soldiers shove the carpenter to the ground and stretch his arms against the beams. One presses a knee against the forearm and a spike against the hand. Jesus turns his face toward the nail, and he could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. I mean, he's the same guy who made the waves of the sea stop. With a simple word, a clench of the fist, a hand that stilled the seas, he could have stopped it. Why didn't he do it? Because he loved you and I too much. Every nail and every hand and every push for oxygen means that God saw something else. Between his hand and between the wood, there was a list, a long list, a list of our mistakes, our lusts, our lies, and greedy moments and prodigal years, our years of regret, of haves and have-nots. He saw the bad decisions from last year and bad attitudes from last week. And there in broad broad daylight for all of heaven to see, there was a list. And he saw the list. And he knew the price of those sins was death. Separation from God. And he knew the source of those sins was you. And he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you. And he chose the nails. The empty tomb is proof that God is for you, that God is crazy about you, and that God deeply loves you very, very much. And at first, when the disciples and Mary got to the tomb, they were afraid. And didn't immediately know that it was Jesus that had been raised. They didn't know it immediately. Grave robbing was very real in that day. Yet what we find in this story is not some folklore or made up story. This is reality. And as the gospels have it, he appeared to more than 500 people after the crucifixion and resurrection. And then then many of the apostles died over that testimony after seeing him. It can't be stopped. Hope lives on. Death has no hold on the risen Jesus Christ, and he lives forever. Acts 4.33 says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work with them all. And Romans 6 says that in death he died. He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive to God in Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great what? Mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And maybe you read that verse and you're like, that's great, but what about right now? That's a great future. What about right now? We can choose our perspective in this. We can dwell on the traffic jams, standing on the bumpers, trying to see what in the world is going on, or even discussing about it with others at the water cooler. Or we can choose what the scriptures say in John chapter 11, be elevated above the traffic and see that help is on the way, that God is in control. 
I believe that with all my heart, and I believe that on the authority of Scripture. He wants us to ask the big questions, and He wants us to pour out our heart to Him. And He wants us, and He cares so much deeply, and He enters into our sorrows. This is why I love the, the Lazarus story, because we all want the risen Jesus to be met in just very ordinary circumstances. And Jesus meets this right in their deep, deep need. And he understands us better than we understand ourselves. And he brings joy and resurrection life into our afflictions. Believing him, we can find peace and joy in the delays oftentimes. What a positive and wonderful truth and exciting truth that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Is it down here? So our perspective, is it down here in the traffic? Or is it from above where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Jesus says that forgiveness of sin, life eternal, you were bought with a price, you were chosen, you were redeemed and cherished, and life and life for you is eternal on Calvary. What happened is that Jesus Christ, raising from the dead, then a very small band group of disciples with no college degree, no resume, no formal education, witnessed the risen Jesus after the crucifixion, and then were told that Peter is hung upside down in Rome in Nero, under Nero. And we're told that women are the first eyewitnesses to Jesus, which is a laughable sight in that culture. And we're told at the very beginning of the early tomb, there was mixed emotions, there was fear, and there was anxiety. And the entire church was locked in one room, as, as, as the scriptures say, and they wondered if it really happened. Yet many of the apostles died for this. And why would they do that if it was made up? If it were a lie, how come no one's found Jesus' body? And why didn't, why didn't everyone start spreading rumors? The story would have died out. There would have been no Bible. There would have been nothing written, no church enacted, no faith to be sure of. Chuck Colson, maybe you've heard of him before. He was a special advisor to President Nixon, and he was on Nixon's special counsel during the Watergate scandal. And he was known as Nixon's hatchet man. I kind of like that. He was talked about being, I don't, like, I don't like that scandal, okay, I'm saying, you know, has hatchet man. He talked about being valuable to Nixon because he was willing to be as ruthless as possible to get things done. And then he was convicted and he served time in federal prison for his involvement in the Watergate cover-up. But it was because of his involvement in the cover-up that he knew the resurrection to be true. Christianity is based on the fact that after he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, Jesus rose from the grave, and then he made living bodily appearances to many people, including many appearances to the 11 remaining disciples. And those disciples who were hiding out, locked in a room because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities when Jesus first appeared to them, would then go on to boldly testify to Christ's resurrection, facing and enduring threats, arrests, and beatings, almost for all of those because they firmly hold belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And for 40 years, they preached the same unwavering, unchanging message. Chuck Colson, on the other hand, witnessed about 10 of the most powerful men in America, couldn't even keep alive for three weeks. A secret that couldn't be kept. People have often asserted that Jesus' disciples made it up. But a quick look at human nature shows us of how untrue an accusation that could be. One person might go to death to their death with a lie, but 11 of them claiming the same thing, all enduring torture and death? If it was a lie, if their story was a cover-up, someone would have cracked on that. 12 powerful men couldn't keep a secret for three weeks, yet 11 powerless men with no power or authority who faced death must have been telling the truth. Jesus' resurrection and this living hope is a reality for the present time. 
And yes, we have assurance that we will know where we'll spend the rest of our lives, but this is not simply just a passageway into eternity. This gives us hope. And yes, this is a blimp on the radar compared to eternity, but the resurrection gives us hope. We see other people through the lens of the resurrection. We give people hope through the lens of the resurrection. We see other people are unsaved who, who deny us and who are enemies. We see them through the lens of the resurrection. And Jesus is saying to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, gives us freedom to live life with purpose right now. And if Jesus can be raised from the dead, he can certainly resurrect any circumstance in your life. Death does not have to be the final say. Jesus' declaration over our life is our foundation. This is deeply personal. John eleven forty one to 43 says, So they took away, this is Lazarus, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. You know, God hears your prayers. I knew that you always hear me, but this is for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you've sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love that, that he says, his, he says Lazarus, um, because some, some people have said, very much smarter than I, um, have said, like, if he didn't say Lazarus, like, there have been a bunch of thousands of dead people coming up out of the grave out of, in Jerusalem. So he says, Lazarus, come out. But isn't it good that God knows your name? God knows your name. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. There's no 15-minute lecture here. Very simple, yet very profound words from Jesus Christ who called the man by name. Nothing like this happened in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, who called disciples, made water into wine, won a Samaritan village, and healed a faraway boy who opened the eyes of the man born blind, but conquered death? Yes. Maybe, you're, maybe your name isn't Lazarus. Maybe it's not Martha. Maybe it's not Mary. But you put your name there. Jesus touching your life and offering hope in the present time, even today. Is it a time for a new day in your life? A new day of faith, Jesus calling your name. Today, the cross means not simply just a supernatural event. It means that everyday goodness wins. Goodness over evil wins. Kindness wins. Gentleness wins wins. If he conquered the grave, it means that all the things in this life, the goodness that happens, wins. In a world that can often feel very dark, light always wins. Because we have confidence in this. Courage over fear, peace over chaos. Bruner, Dale Bruner, as a commentator, he says that God didn't need a fetus for the incarnation. He didn't need a baby. Water for his son's baptism, a cross for his son's death, or a cadaver for his son's bodily resurrection. God can squeeze water from a stone, but God used all of those lowly realities to do a great work of salvation. Instead, God chooses the low things of the world to shame the wise. Jesus was simply visiting his very dear friends and going to see his friends in John 11. Very ordinary, mundane, and he can do it in church services such as ours in hospital rooms, in grocery stores. Not only does the resurrection give us hope now, it gives us purpose because we have an entirely new confidence with an everlasting life with the Father. Purpose. A life driven by purpose has joy and freedom because we know what lies ahead. This is our reality as believers in Jesus. Purpose drives us in such a way that others would see and know the hope that we have in Jesus. Yet with Jesus dying and Lazarus dying, we're confronted with death. It's inevitable. We try to avoid it. We try to delay it. 
In fact, our society has created so much noise, there's not even time to think about death. We watch it from a distance. And even like when we watch actions and media and movies, we sort of like kind of keep it at an arm's length, not thinking that would ever happen to us. We aren't involved. We aren't responsible when we do that. And as author Peter Kreft says in his book, Love is Stronger Than Death, says to be detached from death is to be detached from our life, from our life, which is really powerful words. Life is discovered when death is faced and he will stand and be faced victoriously in Jesus. He will stand before Lazarus's tomb and declare victory. He will stand in your life and your heart. You see, Adam and Eve, they hide in sin due to shame. God's words to the first human being after he's resurrected, resurrected is, don't be afraid. Adam and Eve eat from a tree, and Jesus is hung from wood. Jesus is placed with a crown of thorns. He is the king of kings. Jesus is placed a purple robe for royalty. Jesus closes us, us with righteousness. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus spills out his blood for us. Jesus says that we cannot abide and live without him. Jesus was rejected by the crowd, the soldiers, the followers, and Jesus chooses us. Jesus is mocked with a sign over him calling king of the Jews. Jesus steps off the throne and calls us children of the king, heirs to the throne, bestows us with righteousness, the one who calls everything into existence, who dug the Grand Canyon with the tip of the finger, who molded the tiniest plant in the Amazon rainforest, who fashions the sun in its perfect position. In Jesus, you are his, purchased and bought and specially placed. What kind of king rules like that? And if you're broken or down or shattered or bleeding from the inside out, staring at a lifetime of bad decisions and now the bars of worse consequences or ashamed or struggling to get out of bed in the morning, angry at God, shaking your fist at God, screaming to the heavens, staring at your hands, knowing what they've done and wondering how God could ever love you, unable to breathe from the weight of the wound in your chest, mopping up the leftover scars in your heart because you trusted someone or searching the horizon for any sort of light for your prodigal son or daughter, covered in soul-wretched grief and spirit-breaking sorrow, unable to see the light of day or the blanket of darkness, unable to get off the merry-go-round and stop the cycle of medicating pain with pills or drink or sex or money or anything else in between, Jesus' resurrection is truth that darkness and evil will not be final. There's victory in Jesus. Jesus died while we were in enmity with God. And brought us back and reconciled us back to God. While we were in sin, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. When the prodigal son comes home, he doesn't clean up and wash before the father to earn his favor. He received his son just as he was. He knows we need love and he offers it to us. He offers us forgiveness and he knows we definitely need it. I've never met anyone who thinks they don't have a need for forgiveness. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. I'm not, I haven't been around very long, but I've never met somebody who doesn't, need, doesn't know that they need forgiveness. He is the hope of the world. Jesus is not a was. Jesus is an is. He is alive. He is the great I am. He is the great physician. He is the resurrection. He is the hope of the world. He is our healer. He is our good father. He is the great high priest. He is the one who stands in our place. He is our redemption. He is our peace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great I am. He is the Messiah. He is the truth. He is the good shepherd. Jesus is and is. Amen? Amen. God does for you 
what Bill Tucker's father did for him when he was 16 years old. Bill's father had suffered a heart attack and struggled to get by financially. So he came up with an idea. He won the bid to reupholster the chairs at a local theater and stunned the family. They couldn't believe it. Hadn't stitched anything a day in his life. Didn't own a sewing machine. Still, he found the strength to find how to do it. (laughs) The family scraped together every penny that they could. And they drained all their bank accounts and dug for coins in the sofa. Bill rode with his dad to pick up the equipment one day. And Bill remembers a jovial hour-long trip telling about how they're gonna, this is going to be life-changing. Their life's going to turn around. 16-year-old Bill drove them there to load the industrial-sized sewing, in sewing machine in the back of the pickup. And as they drove along, Bill wasn't paying attention. The sewing machine began to tip and slammed on the brakes. But it was too late. All their hopes and dreams lying on its side to pieces. And his dad looked at him, dead in the eyes. All the risk and all the endeavor, struggling, and all of his dreams, all of his hopes to take care of the family lie on the road. And he looked at right at me. This is saying this story. He looked right at me. He looked right at his son, Bill. And it wasn't not punk, teenager, didn't pay attention. His father went over and put his arm around his son and said, it's going to be okay. God is whispering the same to you. Those are his arms you feel. Trust him. Believe him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Reminds me of this old hymn. Maybe you've heard of this before. The love of God is greater far, the tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win, his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, the stretch from sky to sky. Amen? Amen. Worship team, will you come on up here? There are just some kind of these moments in the life of the church. There's some of these like holy moments right now where... It's just time, you know? It's kind of one of those times in the life of the church. And we've talked a lot about of Jesus accepting us and accepting us as people, accepting us as chosen, we're bought with a price. So scriptures say all of these things about who Jesus is. And maybe for you, it's just time. You're, you know, it's just time to leave it, time to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Time to lay it down. It's time to lay it, it's time to say yes to Jesus. And you know, What this offers is truly life-changing, and it offers us actually eternal life, which is life everlasting, life after this life, life after death. And maybe for you, you've been thinking about that a little bit. You're like, you know, I, I'd like to know exactly where I know where I am going, and I want today to actually be the beginning of that, of a life with Jesus. 
And so if that is you, and if you're like, man, the, you could kind of feel like the stirring in your heart a little bit, like, man, you feel like the whispers of, you know, you feel some whispers coming in, like, yeah, this is time to just be sure that, you know what, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to know exactly where I'm going. You know, I see it all the time on the newspaper. We see it on the news. We see it everywhere we go. There's people whose lives are cut short. We don't know the days that are numbered, but we do know the one who holds those days. And I want you to know that there's somebody who holds those days, and there's somebody you can trust to hold those days for you and for eternity. So a couple of, of different ways about this. I, I, you know, I really would like to know if we can pray for you and walk with you in this. I'm just going to say a prayer, and you know, out of maybe some respect or for people around you, I'm going to say a prayer to invite Jesus to be trusted for the first time in your life. And if that's you, just out of respect for your neighbor, if you'll keep your eyes closed and somehow let me know if that's something that you did. Not because, not for any other reason, because we want to know how to walk through life with you if you've never done that before. Because it's the greatest joy to be able to walk with, through you and with you in life. So if you've never done that, if you'll, everybody here will just bow their heads. And if, if you do pray this, if you'll let me know in some way, shape, or form, maybe a hand raise or some way, shape, or form, or eye contact or something, or even a piece of paper in the back and the offering plate, if you'll pray with me, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I want you to know that I love you and I trust you and I believe in you. God, I want to ask you to be the ruler of my heart, to be the Lord of my life, and I want to follow you the rest of my days. I want to trust you with all that I am, and I believe that you sent your son Jesus, so you died and rose again, and I trust you with my life today. And with, if your eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, if you'll kind of just raise your hand a little bit softly or let me know if that was prayer, amen, amen. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us and your power that lives on within us. The people are, the stories are being written right here in West End of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. That your resurrection lives on, that we testify to that. May this be a new day in the life of our church from now and may it be a guiding light for us in ministry that we would walk in step with you and bring resurrection hope to wherever we may meet. In your strong and powerful name, and God's people all said together, amen. If you'll stand with us, one last song together.